Last week, we started a new series called Prepare the Way for the Lord, and we looked at the opening chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and we read a genealogy, so thank you for enduring that sermon last week. Uh, genealogies are not easy for all of us, but they are so important because they teach us about who Jesus is. Um, we talked about three kind of main takeaways from the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus. First of all, we talked about his titles. He's called the Messiah, which in uh, Hebrew is Meshiach, in Greek is Christos. It means anointed one. It means he was anointed to be king over Israel. We also talked about the, the title the son of David, which means he's heir to the throne. He is the fulfillment of a promise that God made to David a thousand years before. Those are his titles outside of his office. Those are his roles. Those are the positions that he occupies. We also talked about the timing of Jesus, because that genealogy comes in four different sections. First, there was the patriarchs, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then the section of the kings, David and his successors. And then the third section was the time of the exile. These are David's sons and grandsons and great-great-grandsons who should have been on the throne but weren't because the Babylonian Empire came in, defeated Israel, and deported them back away from their homes. And so Jesus comes in at just the right time to end the exile. The king is back on the throne. The royal family line is no longer underground. They're in charge. Jesus is king, and his timing was perfect. He began a new chapter in Israel's story to start a whole new era under him. Then we talked about the troubles of Jesus' family. We talked about how Herod, who is a fake pretender king who bought his throne, uh, was not really the one who deserved to be on the throne. It was actually Jesus' family. And Herod was so jealous that he actually tried to burn the records that proved Jesus was the true heir to the throne. We have historical documents that prove this. So this genealogy, which we think is a snooze, and we skip it when we're trying to read the Bible in a whole year, we just breeze past these genealogies, that's, that's not actually uh, accurate. I mean, these genealogies were politically explosive documents. They were politically charged. They proved that Jesus was the true heir to the throne. Today, we're going to keep on this theme of kind of troubles in Jesus' family. And when we read that passage today, you probably know where I'm going. But here's a little bit of a roadmap. First, we're going to talk about Joseph's confusion about what's going on. We'll talk about God's message through the angel to Joseph, what that angel is saying. We're going to look at Joseph's response to the angel, and then we'll, we're going to conclude with what this story shows about Jesus. So if you have a physical Bible, if, if, if we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have one with you, there are physical Bibles under your seat. It's the very first page in the New Testament, which is the last third of the Bible. And if you don't have one, we'll have the verses on the screen. This is how Matthew begins this section. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. There's his title again. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, it's really important to know what Jewish couples at this time meant by betrothed and marriage, okay? 
in the betrothal, a man would come to a woman he was interested in marrying, uh, interested in marrying. He would propose typically to her, and her family was kind of included in the process. She would reject or accept it, and then from for the next year, the the groom to be would take uh, that entire time to build their family a new home. Okay? Now this is so important. When they were betrothed, when they were in, pledged to be married, when they were engaged, that's the word we would use, they would view each other as husband and wife. It was just incomplete. That is stage one. It's completed at stage two. They would have a week-long wedding. They would invite all of their family and friends. They would consummate the marriage and then begin the rest of their life together. So when we, in modern-day couples, when we're engaged, we don't view each other as husband and wife. They did, okay? So that, that's, I promise that'll bear on the story we're talking about in a second. So we know that Joseph and Mary are in that first section, okay? The, the screen that says, you know, one betrothal, that's where they are. And that's when they find out that Mary is pregnant. Now, it's not exactly clear what this verse means, because if you flip over the Gospel of Luke... The angel tells Mary exactly what's going on, okay? Has anybody heard the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? Okay? I know the answer to that song. The answer is yes. She absolutely knew. The song should be called, Joseph, Did You Know? Because he did not, okay? He had no idea what was going on. He is clueless. And so he comes up with a plan. We read in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband... Right? He's viewed as her husband, even though they're just engaged, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is not the same kind of divorce we think of today. He's considering breaking off the engagement. Okay? Y'all track with me? Nod your heads if you, you see where I'm going with this. Okay? In this time, it's not like in, in the first century everybody just heard about a miracle and was like, okay, no questions asked. I totally... Uh, I totally believe this is from God. Joseph sees Mary's baby bump and says, she slept with somebody else, right? He doesn't say, this must have been the Lord's doing, okay? He immediately jumps to what he thinks happens, and so he says, okay, I'm going to break off the engagement. But his character is put on display here. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He's going to break off the engagement quietly. He's not going to be vindictive. He's not going to tell everybody and their mom in Nazareth that Mary cheated. He's just going to end the engagement quietly. And the law says he can do that. Okay, So he's perfectly within the Torah as a good and faithful Jew. But after he considers this plan, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, once you know about those two phases in the marriage, what do you know that the angel is saying? Finish the marriage. Go on to the keep building the home that you're building for each other. Keep going on to the, the week-long celebration and the ceremony because Mary didn't cheat on you. What is conceived in her is not from another man. It's from the Holy Spirit. And once the angel says this, the angel gives two prophecies and a command. The first is... The first prophecy is she will give birth to a son, okay? This pregnancy is going to thrive, and the child will be a boy, which means he can be an heir to the throne of David. Second, you are to give him the name Jesus. 
And this is so important to know uh, because uh, Jewish fathers would normally give their sons a name based on their family, right? We do this to this day. You give your son it, the uncle's name or the grandpa's name. It, you keep it within the family. But God says, no, no, I want you to name this son Jesus. The name I choose, not anything based on your tribe. The third is, and this you've got to think about how amazing this would be for Joseph to hear. He will save his people from their sins. This angel is almost directly quoting Psalm 130. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. Let's say this bold sentence together, okay? He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins, okay? The angel is saying this psalm is coming true in your son or your fiance's son. Now, that is an amazing thing to consider realizing how many difficulties are going on in the land right now. Because the angel is saying the son of Mary is not going to come to start a merely human empire. He's not coming to save the Jews from all of their political enemies like Pilate or Caesar or Herod. The son of Mary is coming to offer forgiveness of sins. And Matthew says that mission, that mission to atone for wickedness, to forgive transgression was predicted all the way back in the days of the prophet Isaiah. Matthew says, all of this taking place with Joseph and this angel happens to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him, let's say it together, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, I think it's so important to follow this reference where it leads, or else we will not understand the full gravity of what Matthew is saying. So if you rewind seven centuries before Jesus, you go back to the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom is in danger, okay? The king's name at that time is Ahaz. We're going to say his name on three. One, two, three, Ahaz, okay? King Ahaz is worried because he's got some enemies who are allying together, teaming up to fight him. He finds out about these enemies, and his advisors are freaking out, okay? They think they're about to get defeated. That's when God sends the prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz and tells him, do not be afraid, which is exactly what the angel says to Joseph. And the prophet Isaiah offers a sign to King Ahaz 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. Isaiah says in chapter 7, verses 14, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and the virgin will call him Emmanuel. And that last part of the promise is, the land of the two kings you dread, those enemies, will be laid waste. So King Ahaz, you're worried about them destroying you. God is going to give you a sign to show that they are going to be destroyed. Now, what does this prophecy mean? It's so important to know that biblical prophecies can apply in more than one way, okay? So 700 years before Jesus ever shows up, Isaiah makes this prophecy. And in some sense, it can be fulfilled in a guy named King Hezekiah. We're going to say his name on three. One, two, three, Hezekiah, okay? King Hezekiah is ruling when those enemies are defeated. 
And so in some sense, you could say Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled. But guess what? King Hezekiah is not born to a virgin. So there's something left in this prophecy that hasn't yet been fulfilled. And that's why 700 years later, Jesus comes on the scene. He is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise. And Matthew thinks that this is so important, he includes it in his gospel. He's saying, you got to know, this isn't just some amazing thing that happened in the first century with Jesus' Jesus's conception. This is a fulfillment of a promise. Yes, Mary is pregnant because God intervened. He did something that is impossible for humans to do. But it's, he, that's true because God made a promise through Isaiah all those centuries before. I think that this is so crucial to understand that when we read the, the stories of Jesus' life, it's not just that God is inventing these things whole cloth 2,000 years ago. He planted seeds. He prepared his people. That's what this whole series is about. Prepare the way for the Lord. God plants all these seeds years and years and years before Jesus shows up that will finally come to fruition 2,000 years ago. Now, the dream and vision of this angel comes to an end, and you can imagine Joseph kind of startling and waking up in his bed. And you've you got to know this. When people receive messages from God, they're technically allowed to still disobey. Right? This happens in, in Scripture. People will receive a message from God, and they will not obey him. So Joseph has some very important decisions to make. Will Joseph take Mary into the home he's been building? Or will he abandon her? Will Joseph go to the next step of the marriage? Will he move on from betrothal to full and complete husband? Will he adopt Jesus as his son? Will he give him the name that's from his family or from God? We read in the very next verse, verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Here's what I want to focus on this story, okay? We know that, Jesus, that Joseph died early on in Jesus' life. But, and so many of us don't really know much about him, but I think we should be inspired by Joseph. Right? He was confused. He didn't know that the pregnancy came from the Holy Spirit, but as soon as an angel tells him, he nods along, he trusts this messenger, and he doesn't break off the engagement. That is a trust in God that defies our human understanding. Think about that, that sentence. I don't know if you can see it on the screen behind me. He did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. Think about what that actually means. Joseph doesn't do a shotgun wedding. Right? He doesn't marry her, sleep with her to try and cover up this pregnancy from the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. He waits the entire pregnancy, and then they have the wedding. You know what that would mean? In Nazareth, in this sleepy little village that no one knows about, what would Mary get? Bigger and bigger and bigger. And guess what everyone would know? She's still not married yet. Can you imagine how much shame and humiliation would be put upon her? And guess what? Joseph says... I'm sticking with her because God told me to. All the shame and humiliation and gossip in Nazareth would be taken upon Joseph, right? When he takes Mary and her son in, whatever humiliation or scorn from their neighbors, he would take it on himself. 
And I love that because it makes me ask, okay, who else does that remind us of? Is there someone in the New Testament who takes on all the shame of his bride upon himself even though he didn't deserve it? Does that sound a little bit like Jesus to you? He did what his legal father did with Mary. Y'all tracking with me? I think that's amazing. Joseph did that for his bride. I love this very last sentence. And he gave him the name Jesus. I don't know about you, but Joseph is very quiet. I wish the gospel authors would tell us more about what he said. But we only know one word that Joseph said. And that's the name Jesus. We never hear him speak except for this moment. So... That's Joseph, that's Mary, but what does this story tell us about Jesus? I think this is something we get used to every year at Christmas, but I want to make it more awesome and wonderful this morning. Before Jesus performed miracles, he was conceived by a miracle. I gotta move away from this and stop looking at my notes because I just gotta look y'all in the eye and talk about this for a second, okay? Just think about this from a modern biological perspective. At one point in her body, there was an egg with 23 chromosomes, okay? And then God, by his divine intervention, made that a zygote with 46. Am I doing my math right? 23 times 2? Okay. That's what happened. How can we be bored by that? We sometimes, during Christmas, we just talk about her virgin birth so casually. Think about what it means. There was no man involved. There definitely wasn't any in vitro fertilization involved. This is just the act of God. And a child is conceived in her. I think uh, around Easter, we always focus on the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? We celebrate the fact that Jesus came to life. And I think for many of us, it's obvious how, how powerful that miracle is, right? If you've ever been to a funeral, and if someone got out of the casket, okay, you would be pretty shocked, okay? But for some reason, we're impressed by the resurrection of Jesus, but we don't focus on the conception of Jesus. We just kind of move along, like it's not that big of a deal, but this was just God's decision, and it happened. And we can't fathom it. I mean, just think about that for a second. Mary, she has those famous words, right? Let it be unto me according to thy word. And right at that moment... The Son of God was conceived in her womb. We can't be bored by that. We have to be amazed and impressed and in awe of what God has done. Uh, a couple years ago, I got to go with my brothers to Nazareth. I actually got to go to this city. And this church right here is called the Church of the Annunciation. It's, it's celebrating and built on top of uh, a long-held site that... That's, this is where Mary was encountered by this angel, okay, that announced to her, your son will be the son of God. And, uh, you know, right here we have on our, on our uh, communion table right here, we have an inscription, right? This do in remembrance of me. They have an altar at this church that has a Latin inscription on the front. And I'm not going to even pretend like I know Latin, so I'm going to look at my notes to tell you what it said, okay? It said five words, okay? Verbum caro hic factum est. I had to text my brother and ask him what this meant, okay? It's almost a direct quote from the Latin version of John 1.14, which says, the word was made 
flesh, okay? The Word was made flesh. But guess what? This Latin inscription on their altar in this church added one more word. So that it reads, the Word was made flesh here. The Word was made flesh here. Not anywhere else. Not at any other time. 2,000 years ago, somewhere around March 25th, because we can do the math and count nine months back, the Word was made flesh right there in Nazareth in this probably a teenage girl. The Son of God came into the world. Y'all, if that happened, God is real, period. There's no more argument. Only an all-powerful being could do such a thing. Now, if you're a Christian, you actually believe something even more extreme than just a miracle happened there. You believe that that little zygote in Mary's womb was the Son of God. We don't believe that Jesus became divine at some other point when he was 12 or 18 or 30. We believe that he was fully human and fully divine from the beginning of his life, which means God chose to become the earliest possible form of a human person. Which means that if you have ever held a baby in your arms, that's what Mary and Joseph did for the Son of God. We've got one right over here. Okay? Just as a, an object lesson for us today. For any dads, any grandfathers in the room, when you hold a son or a grandson, Joseph held the Son of God like that. For any moms, any grandmas, when you nursed your child, Mary nursed the Son of God like that. That's what that miracle means. That's what we celebrate around Christmas. That can never be boring to us again. It is amazing. This series is called Prepare the Way for the Lord. And I think it's obvious Joseph had to be prepared, right? God had to send him an angel to explain what was going on. Because the Lord comes to us in very surprising ways, we need to be prepared. That's why my prayer for us is that we would respond to the Lord's surprises with the same trust of Joseph. Right? Joseph is a model for discipleship here. He hears a message. He trusts the messenger from God. He obeys God's orders. And then he just waits for God's promises to come to pass. That's the definition of, of being a disciple. You got to listen to God's word, obey his commands, look forward to what he promises. That's what Joseph did, and that's what all of us are called to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are just stunned again by the beauty of the incarnation, that the word was made flesh. Not in some generic way, but in a very particular way. You chose a teenage girl in Nazareth, a nobody. And now we know from Scripture that all of us say she is blessed. Blessed because she became the mother of the Messiah. We are amazed that you decided to become 
one of us. And you didn't just come onto the scene as an adult, you became a baby, a tiny, vulnerable child. That's how far you were willing to go to be with us. We are amazed again this morning. Father, help us to be like Joseph. That even when we're confused, if we listen to your word, that we would obey your commands and look forward to what you promise. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.